Good morning. As I've said, my name is Chad Weeb. I'm one of the pastors at Cornerstone Bible Church in Steinbeck. And I'm so glad to be with you this morning. What a treat it is to come. I've met a few of you. The warmth and the love is just great. And I feel so much at home to be here because I see you have the same empty front row that we have back home. <laughs> and I just, I just like, I belong here. This, this is my people. Uh, I think it's our other pastor, Pastor Eric, who knows your pastor, Matt. That's how the connection was made. And a little while ago, the invite came. Is there somebody who would be interested and willing to go to Trinity Fellowship to preach? And I said, yes, I will go. I want to know how the saints in Ildeshane are doing. What a journey we have all been on. Has the Lord been good? Has he been gracious to us too? I would bring the exact same report. What a trial it has been. We lost some, we gained some, and God was faithful through all of it. And I bring greetings from Cornerstone, and I'm excited to hear the same from you. God is gracious, God is good. He knows the way out of every valley, and He leads His people. Uh, my wife and I are here this morning. My wife, Marcella, she's there. Give us a wave. Here she is. Yay, she, doesn't, she hates it when I point her out. Uh, we have been married for some 28 years. We have four daughters, ages something like 19, 21, 23, and 24, 22 and 24, something like that. The growing up is the point that I'm making, and that's just wonderful. All right, if you would grab your Bibles then and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 12, and we'll read down to verse 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for gathering your people. We pray now, Lord, that you would open your word up to, it, to us as we sit under it, that we may hear, receive, and obey with joy. We ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know what your problem is? I mean, we hardly know each other. But if I can be so bold as to point this out, and I say it in a general sense, everybody's different, of course. But generally speaking, there's a bit of a problem that we have. I know because I have it too. The problem is that we cannot see in the way we ought to. We are blind. 
Which is why when you do try to look around, you wonder why so many things are going wrong in the world, in your life, at home perhaps, at work, at school, in the church, wherever. As a general observation, I think most people can see an awful lot of bad things that are going on in their life. But we're not seeing the way that we ought to. It's a serious problem. But thankfully, God still gives sight to the blind. And that is what is going on in our passage today. Now, do you remember the conversion of Paul back in Acts chapter 9, right? The road to Damascus. We're familiar with that story. God appears to him. And what happens to Paul after the vision? He's blind. He's walking along. Everything is going well. And a moment later, his sight is taken from him. That must have been a terrifying experience, but you'll remember he gets sent to Ananias. Ananias prays for him, and God restores his sight. Paul can see again. The difference is now he sees everything in a new way. For Paul, the whole world has changed. And now he is trying to get us to see what he sees in the manner that he sees. Because when God gives you sight, then you can see as you ought to. Before God opens our eyes, we are blind. We stumble through life in a general state of confusion and dismay. We stumble around not knowing what's going on. For Paul, he was persecuting the believers. He's thinking that he was stopping them, that he was putting the brakes on the gospel the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what he thought he was seeing as he put Christians in prison, threatening murder against them, going from city to city, house to house, arresting believers, putting them in jail. Any of us would look at that and see that Paul has the upper hand. Paul has the power. As far as we can tell, he was stopping the gospel. He put them in prison. He was not. That's winning. He was moving forward. The gospel was safely behind bars. But the truth is, reality, Paul was blind. He could not see what God was actually doing. It took God opening his eyes before he could see what was really going on. And his new sight now led him to a depth of courage and confidence that we all need. It's sheer audacity, that Pauline swagger, and we want to get some of that. So today we want to get a glimpse of what Paul saw so that we too can have our eyes opened and that we too can see the things that God wants to show us. We have a problem, but we have a God who gives sight to the blind. So in the book of Philippians, Paul is in a Roman prison. That's where he's writing from. He's locked up. He's chained up. The tables have turned. Now he is the one being persecuted. He used to put people in prison. Now he's the one in prison. Except this time, Paul looks around with new sight, and he says, yes, everything is going exactly as planned. I got him right where I want him. Surrounded from the inside, these guys don't stand a chance. 
he can see. What Paul once saw as a victory for evil, the exact same thing, putting Christians in jail in this situation, him, he now sees as a victory for God. And we wonder, what happened? What happened to change his opinion of what was going on? What did Paul see? The key to understanding Paul's confidence in the face of difficult situations can be found in the prayer that he prayed for the Philippians earlier on in the book. Do you remember, looking back, chapter 1, verse 6, a familiar verse, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is sure of what God is going to do. It's not guesswork. It's not wishful thinking. It's not maybe. He knows for certain. He knows what God is going to do without a doubt in the world. Paul has had his eyes opened to who really is in charge of what happens down here. Once God begins a work, once God's grace begins to work, it will not fail. Name the power in all of creation that can overthrow, withstand, hinder, or stop the grace of God. There is none. Paul knows that grace today is promised for grace tomorrow. The work will continue. As he says elsewhere, God works all things for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. All things. There is nothing that can stand against the purposed grace of God. Now Paul looks at his circumstances through the eyes of faith, having his sight given to him. And he looks around him in prison, and all he can see is victory. What a joy that he had, this victory of God's grace, that sure promise that God completes what he starts. And in that truth, there springs up a sudden surge of courage and confidence, what looks like sheer audacity to those who can't see what's going on. They can't see what he can see. It's like you ever watch a movie and there's some little boy getting bullied. Not me from, I wasn't bullied by anybody. <laughs> That's true, he never did. You watch a story and some little boy is getting bullied by somebody, he's getting pushed around, and suddenly around the corner comes that little boy's much bigger and much older brother. And that bully doesn't know why this little kid is suddenly laughing at him. It seems crazy. What audacity. But it's only crazy because that bully doesn't know what story he's in. The situation is totally different when you see that God is there and God is in charge. When God shows up, Mr. Bully You had better run. You're in the wrong story. So there are two areas here that we can see Paul's perspective on what's really happening. And he opens up this section that we just read by stating his conclusion first in verse 12. This is what he wants us to know, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He wants them to know that at the end of our passage he reiterates it, book ends. Down in verse 18, he says, in every way Christ is proclaimed. Right? This preaching of the gospel, this is what he wants. This is his goal. 
What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That is why he is, quote-unquote, laughing in prison. All his troubles have done is served to advance the cause. This advancement. God uses his enemies to destroy themselves, and Paul is living this out in real time. He wants us to know so that we can see that too. He says, I want you to know, brothers, I want your eyes to be opened. It looks bad. I'm in prison. You got it all wrong. Come see what I can see. We have our eyes opened to see this. It's going to help us apply the passage to our own lives because it's just as true now as it was then. So the first thing that Paul is going to point out to us is found in verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul is in prison, as we've said. The very place he used to put people in order to try to stop the gospel from advancing. But for Paul, things have changed. He's not blind anymore. He's not just in prison. He says, because I am in prison, unjustly chained like a criminal, because of that, what? The whole imperial guard has heard of Jesus Christ. The gospel isn't advancing in spite of Paul being in prison. It's because he's in prison. There is purpose behind it. When you see that, the chains fall off and the joy begins to return because I am in prison, they all know. Far from silencing the gospel, Paul says, you guys just gave me a microphone for the stage, a captive audience, and a backstage pass to meet the organizers. Thank you. How else would I have gotten here? Paul is delighted at the results he is getting from his persecution. He's saying, I'm not locked up in here with you. You're locked up in here with me. Let's go. He is delighted because he knows who really holds the keys to that lock on the door. And God holds the keys to the locks on your door just the same. We want to have our eyes opened. How else would he have had the opportunity to reach not just the guard, but right into Caesar's inner sanctum and preach the gospel at the end of the book. If you read through the book of Philippians, like this afternoon, sit down and read through it. He's going to say at the end, all the saints greet you, especially the members of Caesar's household. (laughs) Well, this is wild. You can imagine him smiling at that line. The gospel has advanced to the very household of Caesar himself. How did that happen? You don't just get an audience with Caesar. He's not coming to church Sunday morning. It doesn't happen through storming the gates. It doesn't happen through shouting and hollering, not through force or threats. It happens through the persecution and imprisonment of Paul. The very thing meant to shut him up. That was the means that God used to advancing the gospel to the most unreachable area in the world, Caesar's household. That man who had set himself up as a god himself, who approved the murder of Christians, who demanded worship for himself. God sent the gospel right into Caesar's household. 
Oh, that we had eyes to see. There are times in your life when you won't get to see those things. And you will wonder, what is God doing in my trial? We must remember the times that God has given us sight. Never forget the blessings. The Bible says again and again, remember, remember, remember. Teach your children. Tell it to your children. Repeat it. Remember. Do not forget in the dark what you once saw in the light. Don't forget. What have we learned through COVID? There were things there that we learned when the light came on. Do not forget what you have learned. Do not forget. Remind yourselves. Let us not appear before the Lord without praise and with thanksgiving, even though the trials are heavy and your heart is burdened and broken and dismayed. You come with your broken heart, and you come to the one who heals, who has healed, who has said, remember, remember. And so we come with thanksgiving, knowing who holds the keys. And having seen what he can do with them. We see it throughout history, don't we? It's when the church is persecuted that the gospel goes forth with such amazing and incredible power. You've heard that saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When we are weak, then we are strong for God's power is perfected in our weakness. We need to have our eyes open to this truth. I don't like feeling weak. I don't particularly want to be persecuted. I need eyes to see. Paul's suffering, we see further in point one still. It has not caused men to cower in fear like you would think, but rather to rise up and preach with boldness. Verse 14 now. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It's often thought by the powers that be that if you can make an example of someone by causing him to suffer publicly, that others will be afraid and shrink back. And truth be told, they're almost right. It's true that it works. You make an example of someone, everyone knows what's going to happen to them if they do the same thing, and so now you've got to evaluate whether you're willing to suffer in that way. It's a very effective way at controlling people. We see it all the time. Make an example of someone, the rest will take warning. It's effective except for one thing. When it comes to the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord over heaven and earth, the proclamation of the gospel the Holy Spirit will not allow Himself to be silenced. He will not allow Himself, suffer Himself to be blasphemed, nor will He allow the promises of God to fail. He will not suffer the silencing of the gospel. His purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ. He will see it done. Silencing men is not hard. Violence and shame, that will usually do it. Silencing the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is impossible. He will empower His servants not to only keep speaking when suffering comes, but He will cause them to speak all the more boldly. Paul is seeing this in his imprisonment. They are much more bold to speak the word without fear. My imprisonment is no deterrent to these brave men. 
who stand now in the gap. We need that courage. The Holy Spirit empowers His people to not only keep showing up, but to do so in increased boldness, increased joy with that sheer audacity, for there is no suffering that will stop them. Oh, to have our eyes opened to the power and the presence of God. The gospel will not be silenced. It will go forth. It will accomplish all that God has intended. You can fight with men and win. But if you set yourself to fight against the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the promises given to the church that the gates of hell will not prevail, you just walked into a battle you should have stayed out of. You're in the wrong story. For the gospel is guarded by the Almighty God Himself. And we see in Paul's life the truth that he says in 2 Timothy, Remember Jesus? Raised from the dead, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. He lived it. And Paul can say this with complete confidence and joy because he has lived it. Here he is sitting in jail watching the gospel spread like wildfire. We may fear suffering, you and I. The Holy Spirit does not. And if I can put a fine point on it with gentleness, he does not fear your suffering either. He will give you grace. He will give you strength. He will give you joy to have our eyes opened. And when that time comes, should it come, he will strengthen us to stand in places we never would have imagined. We give glory to God for that power. The second thing that Paul has had his eyes open to, this is verses 15 to 18, if you just glance there, kind of keep your eyes there, is what to do with his enemies, the ones who preached out of rivalry. He talked about those who preached with more boldness and more joy. But in his absence, he's also seeing others stepping up to preach out of rivalry, selfish ambition, And not just selfish ambition, but animosity towards Paul. They want to afflict him in his imprisonment. Well, what does he see when he looks at them? The short answer is the same thing as that little boy who sees his big brother. Paul essentially laughs at them. He sees that they too... These men are subject to the sovereignty of God, and all that they can do ultimately is the will of God. To be sure, they will be held to account for their sin. They're not going to escape, but like a bridle on a horse, they will be controlled. They may have deceived men, but they will not deceive God. Their judgment is coming. So here's the setup. Paul's in prison, of course, and there are those who see this as an opportunity to ascend a little higher, selfish ambition. They're hoping to get something for themselves. Paul is out of the way, now's my chance. They're going to preach out of selfish ambition. They're wanting something for themselves, a little honor perhaps, a little position of authority, whatever it is, selfish ambition. And not only selfish ambition, they want to afflict him. 
So it's not like they're going to forget him in prison. They're hoping to make it a little worse for him in prison. That's who's now preaching in Paul's place. Selfish ambition and an attempt at afflicting Paul. Now, to me, this sounds like a very vexing situation. If I was in Paul's spot, sitting there stuck in prison, watching this happen, watching these wolves go out there, deceiving, seeking for themselves, not shepherding the flock as a shepherd ought to, trying to build themselves up, afflicting me. There's the people of God being preached to by sinful men. I'm being lied about, deliberately hurt in my imprisonment. I'm pretty sure I would be more than just a little bit of annoyed if that was me. This is so unfair. But what does Paul see? His eyes are opened. He doesn't see anymore like he did. What is Paul's response? Verse 18. What then? It's a shrug. He says, yeah, so what then? He's having a little laugh at them, isn't he, with their attempt at a coup, their flailing little arms trying to reach him in prison as if they could do anything at all. As if they could hurt the gospel by hurting Paul. As if they could rise to the throne. As if Paul was in charge of the whole thing. Let's get Paul. And Paul's like, what are you coming after me for? You are fighting against the living God. If they could just get rid of him, they think. Paul knows that they have no real power. What Paul actually sees is the gospel being preached. Here are evil men proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? You almost think of Jesus saying that the stones themselves are going to cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. And here they are, dead men, cold stones, preaching the gospel that they are enemies of. From Paul's perspective, things are looking pretty good. It's a season of rejoicing, though he is shackled in a prison. He can rejoice because Christ is preached, and that is what he ultimately wants. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, good motives or bad, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. We have to understand what is driving Paul here. If it was his own agenda that he cared about, yeah, he would be having a tough time. If he was the key and the power behind the whole thing, if you were the key and the power behind your whole life, if I was the key and the power behind my whole life, and when you hit a bump in the road, you get stressed and anxious, fearful, angry, miserable. We are not the key. What Paul wants is the glory of God. His eye is fixed. Right there, the preaching of the gospel for the glory of God. That's what I want. That's where his eyes are. His heart is fixed. The furtherance of the gospel. He wants the knowledge of God to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And then when he sees it happening, whether he suffers for it or whether he has a time of ease is quite irrelevant. He says, I rejoice. Look at the Lord work. It's not about me. It's about him. God will complete the work that he has started. 
When we want, what, what we want is the same as what God wants. We can rest content because God will get what he wants. We need to have our eyes open to the sovereignty of God so that we may have joy in our trials, courage in our suffering. If God is not in control, I don't want to be in prison. Why would I want to be there? But if he is, then that prison door is only locked because he has allowed it. That trial in your life is only there because God has allowed it. God is in control. Whatever comes to your mind when I say that burden that you've brought with you to church this morning, whatever that is, God has allowed it, and he has said, I am working it for your good. Can you see that, or can you just see the trial? We need to have our eyes opened. Then you can have a joyful little laugh at all the ridiculous people trying to stop God's word with their little padlock on the prison door. Whatever prison you're in, whatever prison Paul was in. Yeah, good luck with that, Mr. Jailer. This is the direct application in real time, in real life, of Paul's prayer earlier in Philippians. He is sure that God will complete the work. Because of that promise, locked doors and evil men, broken hearts and trials, whatever it is that you face, will not succeed. Paul has grabbed hold of this promise, and now he is able to discern the will of God, which is his imprisonment. Again, earlier in Philippians, the prayer that Paul prays so that you will have the ability to discern the will of God, to know what is excellent. Paul is living it, and he's able to discern that it's what is best for him is his imprisonment. The gospel goes out with good motives and bad motives, but it goes out, the imperial guard, all the way to Caesar's household. And there Paul sits with a smile on his face, and he can say, hey, Mr. Jailer, let me tell you a funny story about jails and how they work. When God's glory and His gospel are foremost in your mind, when that's what you want, then your suffering is no longer a hindrance, but rather a stage from which to proclaim from. It amplifies your voice. We run from suffering. We plead for it to end. The first thing I do when I get in the trial is look for an exit. How long, O oh Lord? And he's like, you, you just started. I'm like, What's, where's my exit? Right? Like, help, 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 help is the extent of my prayer. And God is like, I have scattered precious things for you to find through this trial. Will you waste the opportunity in your desire for an exit? Do you fear suffering so much you doubt my love, my promise, my power. We want it to end, and we lose all our joy when we are under it. But for Paul, it's like another victory to celebrate. The difficulties in your life are the great revealers of your heart, where your hopes are, what your desires really are. Is it that you are out of the trouble? Or is it that God will be glorified in your life? If your eyes are opened, there is joy to be had for you even in the most difficult of trials. 
You can bet the world notices, as did the whole palace guard, when those who are suffering respond with rejoicing. What is that guy doing? Didn't we just beat him up? And here he is preaching the same thing again. What's going on? Those prison bars don't hinder the view one bit, not for Paul, and Lord willing, not for you. Just to be clear, as I say all of that, none of this negates one's suffering. I have no idea what burdens you have brought in here this morning. But I know enough to know that this room is full of heartache, of disappointment, of fears, of struggles, broken hearts, broken relationships. Suffering is real, but it is not to be feared. Fear squanders the opportunity. Fear loses the chance to testify about who God is. Fear silences the good news. Fear lies about the gospel. It lies about the power of God. It says it's not sufficient. I'm going to worry about it. Maybe that will be sufficient. Do not lose the opportunity that you are currently facing. When they put Paul in prison, he had them right where he wanted them. And they didn't stand a chance. He took that opportunity. He saw wonders he had not seen before. Suffering is hard, but in it there is opportunity to have sight restored and glory seen. Don't waste the opportunity of your suffering. For those who truly want God's glory above all else, there is no other path that they can see than one of complete and total victory. The Spirit has promised it, it will be done. Of that I am sure. I can't see my way out of this. But I know God can. I know in whom I have believed. Sheer audacity in your trial. But only if you have eyes to see. If you are cured from your blindness. The bully thinks he is in control. The little guy who really sees knows better. And both of them are laughing at the same time, but not for long. One is about to stop. He's in the wrong story. We need eyes to see the truth. Now remember... Paul was eventually killed for his testimony. At the end of his days, he is martyred. And to those who can't see, it looks like he lost. But he doesn't. And he didn't. Up to and including his very death and beyond, Paul is more than a conqueror. We have been promised suffering. We have been promised victory. Those are not mutually exclusive promises. They go hand in hand. We try to separate them and get really confused as to what's going on with this world. Has God forgotten me? I don't understand. They are not exclusive. We have been promised victory. We have been promised suffering. And the world has no understanding of such things. Blind people are blind. As we begin to wrap this up, we just see briefly that the Bible is full of these examples. Times when God turned on the light. He pulls the curtain back a little bit and says, look. Look and see who I am, what I have done, so that you don't forget when that curtain closes and you can't see. Because God doesn't actually show up. He's already there. On one side, you have 5,000 hungry men. On the other side, you have two fish and a few loaves of bread. What do you see? What do you see? 
on one side you have a giant, a warrior. On the other side you have a boy with a slingshot. What do you see? On one side you have thousands of Philistines trained and ready for war. The other side you have the single sword of Jonathan. What do you see? On one side, you have all of Israel starting to die of thirst in the desert. On the other side, you have Moses standing next to a rock of all things. What do you see? On one side, you have whatever trial it is that is overwhelming your heart right now, this week to come. On the other side, you have the promise of the Word of God that He will shepherd you through that He will build you into Christ-likeness, that He is there in the darkness. He knows the way out of every valley. What do you see? On one side, you have an army surrounding the city. On the other side, you have the single prophet Elisha sitting there calmly. He can see. He sees an army of fire circling. All these stories and so many more are there to glorify our mighty God and to remind us that when the light goes out, nothing has changed. God is there. His promises are sure. Our problems may seem big, but when God is magnified as He ought to be, our problems regain their proper perspective. When your eyes are open, you can see. God will finish what He starts, even though it may seem dire at times, even though you don't know the way out. He does. God will have the victory. Trust Him. I read recently that Many Christians are stuck in fear trying to figure out which hill to die on rather than leaving a trail of hills behind them that God has already claimed victory on. What do you see? May God give us eyes to see as Paul did so that we can say with him, whatever it is, what has happened to me, plug in the worst of the worst, what has happened to me, to us, has really served to advance the gospel. And in that, I rejoice. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for your promises. Light that you have given to us in the darkness of our valleys. Lord, may everyone who hears your word today have eyes to see, to receive, to trust you. Without you, there is no hope, no escape. There's no way out. And the valley is permanent. But with you, Lord, you know the way out of every valley. If the light would come on but for a second and we looked down, oh, Father, we would see a well-trodden path. You have led many through these valleys. You are good and you are faithful. Lord, may you stir our hearts. May you stir the hearts of this church that they would seek you, that they would find the joy of trusting you, that they would find they are walking in water, that there is no prison or burden or heartache that can hinder your work in their lives, in this body, in the world in which they move. May they trust you completely, giving glory to your name as you show yourself their good Father, their faithful shepherd. Lord, your, would your blessing be upon us as we seek you. We ask, we seek, we knock. And we anticipate, Lord, your faithfulness as you have always been, so you will always be, and in that we rejoice. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. This, there are two ways of seeing this world, two ways of looking at what is going on. The first way is what you see with your eyes. This way of looking at things only takes into account what is happening right in front of you, the broken car, the unexpected bill, the illness, the strained relationship. If your sight goes no further than this, you will be discouraged. The second way is what God sees. God sees your growth in Him through your trials, the perfecting of your character. He sees your joy on the other side of the pain. God directs your vision back to His Word, where He promises to work all things for your good and for His glory. If you open your eyes to see the way God sees, you will say, Yes, Lord, and Amen. Let it be according to your will, for you are doing what is good for me. Look to His promises this week. Trust in the sovereign God who still gives sight to the blind. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all and all God's people said, Amen.